Great, we are continuing in Ephesians. We've just started, really, uh, and I'm already really excited about this series. Uh, God's opening our eyes to things as Paul opens this uh, church in Ephesus, their eyes to the wonders of this salvation plan, uh, the gospel, uh, God's redemption plan throughout history, this, this huge scope of what God is up to in the world and how they're brought into this. And uh, I'm excited about it already. As we, um, we gathered a few weeks ago for our prayer and vision uh, evening, looking through the term ahead, uh, we just left it open, really, without much agenda. We said, Holy Spirit, just lead us what to pray for. And we didn't really move on from praying for this series and just excited about God speaking to us and shaping us and opening our eyes and the Holy Spirit moving uh, in signs and wonders and in power as we uh, go through this wonderful letter. And I've already felt over two weeks the presence of God uh, in our worship and in the Word as we open it. And so I'm just excited to see we've got months of this ahead as God shows us and unfolds his plan as we look in this. I'm going to pray and then we'll uh, continue. Father, we just thank you for being with us in our time of worship. Thank you that you inhabit the praise of your people. Thank you you own us. Thank you there's a seal on our hearts, the Holy Spirit. And I pray this morning as we hear your word that we would uh, be refreshed uh, with the truth, that we would receive what your spirit wants to do. And we pray, as always, Lord, give us ears to hear what you want to say and soften our hearts, Lord, where we need them softening to receive the love and mercy and grace which is ours only through Christ Jesus. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, uh, as we looked at this last week, we're going to look at it today, uh, this first 14 verses. I'm going to go uh, through them again, but focusing mainly on verses 11 to 14. So if you have your Bible, uh, you may as well have it open in Ephesians 1. Uh, it will be on the screen, but I want to say I really encourage you, uh, as elders, I know we would jointly encourage you to bring your Bible, and to, uh, if you haven't got one, to get one, and to be looking in your Bible. We'd, I'd encourage you to bring a notebook as well. I heard something this week that apparently of the information that we hear, we retain about 3% of it. Of the inf information that we make notes on and write down, we retain about 7%. And it jumps up a lot when you teach it, you retain about 25%. And really, as believers, we want to be sharing. We want to be able to teach. We want to be able to pass on what God has taught us. So I'd really encourage you uh, to bring your Bible, to make notes, to scribble on things, and get used to, how would, I, how would I tell my children about this? How would I tell my friends about this? How are we thinking about passing on this amazing news of Jesus? Tom mentioned last week that this is... I think it's one of the longest sentences in the Bible because verse 3 to verse 14 is 11 verses here, but in the original Greek, it is one sentence with no punctuation. It's just a vomiting out of, of praise, if you like that phrase, which no one probably does. Um, uh, Paul can't help himself but just explode praise. And the only thing I could sort of compare it to in our lives is I, I, I believe, we as elders believe in the gift of, of languages, and uh, you might say tongues, uh, where, where the Holy Spirit gives you a, a language that is a heavenly language and just and utters out things. And it's almost like that's the only thing in my life I can, you know, just overflow with just comes out and I can't help it. And it's like that, really. It's just this, oh, he can't keep it in. And it's an incredible uh, God-breathed um, God moment of inspiration 
that we heard last week. And we see, as Tom said, that Paul is writing this letter from prison, but his heart is in heaven. His body is in prison, but his heart is in heaven, in wonder at what Jesus has done. So let's just read through the first 14 verses again. And I'll do a little Bible study with you. As we do this, see if you can see some themes that come out here. There is something that is repeated 10 times in here. See if you can get that. There's something that's repeated about seven times, and there's something that's repeated three times. So get the themes that are coming through here. Let's have a look at this, particularly verse 3 to 14. But I'll start from the beginning. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the Beloved. In him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. In him, we have obtained an inheritance having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it, to the praise of of his glory. I wonder if you picked up some of the themes in there. Something that is repeated about 10 times or so is in him or in Christ or through him. In him is this central theme. This is what has happened, as, as Tom said last week. We're not looking at a religion here. We don't come to a God who says, uh, I want you to do, 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 but one that says, it's done. It's done. In Christ, something has been achieved. That's unique brothers and sisters. That's not, that's not common among religions. It's unique in Christianity that there is a God who says, I've completed what needed to be done. On the cross, he said, it is finished. I have done the work. And in Christ, things have happened for you. It's the heart of Christianity to be united to Christ. If you're here to learn about religion, if you're here to try to impress God, if you're here to make friends, you're not here for what God has brought you here for. It's only through our union with Christ that we have these spiritual blessings. Every spiritual blessing that we have comes in Christ, Paul says. One of the other themes that comes through is according to his purpose. 
It says multiple times, according to his goodwill, according to his purpose. God's great plan, as Tom looked at last week, this great tapestry that sometimes from our side looks a bit messy and we think there's threads everywhere. It doesn't look very nice. But from God's perspective, this is an incredible tapestry that has been unfolding from eternity past to eternity future. And God has brought us into it according to his will, according to his great plan, to his purpose. The end result being to unite all things in Christ and fill the earth with his glory. God has a mighty age-old plan that he's brought them in through, into through Jesus. They're called to be world changers. And, and, and Paul sent these letters to the churches in Ephesus, or this letter to the churches in Ephesus. They would have been meeting in groups of 30 to 50, apparently, in houses and he is giving them this huge scope. You are meant to change the world. What, 50 people in a room in, 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 in Jerusalem or Israel or Ephesus? <laughs> yeah, God has got this and he's brought you into it. Ephesus is a large city, apparently the fifth largest city in the ancient world. A center of commerce, a port city. It's full of idolatry. And these people are building church in a place not unlike where we are today. This is God's plan. He will work his kingdom plans, his glory, and his will through the body of Christ, which is the church. This picture, this plan, this message is one vast expanse. The scope is huge, isn't it, in size. And its footprints in history. This is about eternity. This is about what God has been doing on earth since he spoke it into being since Adam fell and God put into plan his redemption plan, put into action his redemption plan. I've loved hearing Tom's message over the last few weeks as my eyes have been lifted up again. I just think, wow, God, you've brought us into this incredible grand narrative that we've to experience. And it says in Ephesians 3, even heaven looks on at the church and marvels at the glory and wisdom of God. Even heaven looks on, what, what is this incredible thing that God has done and is doing? Paul is, Paul is pulling back the curtain to reveal the glory of this truth, this eternal purpose before the foundation of the world has uh, even begun. God has his affections. God has his loves, the things that he plans, the things that he desires to achieve in eternity past. The eternal purpose at the end being that the whole world will be full of his knowledge, of his wisdom, his goodness, his glory, the reign of Christ. This is where time, creation, is headed. This is where we are going. This is the road we are on. This has been God's road from eternity past. And this is what Paul is opening these verses up in these house churches in Ephesus to see this trajectory that God himself has ordained. And then he talks, goes on to talk, how does this affect you? What does this mean for your life? For us, what does this mean for us? How does this change our mindsets and daily lifestyles? And the second half of the letter goes on to more of that, but immediately you start to feel, doesn't it, this has an impact on me. If this is what I'm brought into, he hasn't even started to open that up yet. What impact does this have on your life? You can already start to feel my perspective shifts when I realize I'm part of something that God has been doing throughout history. God is faithful to his word. And in this letter, 
He's promising that he will expand the fruit of his church. History is going somewhere. And Paul's praise covers as well other themes. There's themes in here of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. I don't know if you saw that. We'll come on to that in just a moment. The third thing we didn't talk about is to the praise of his glory. It says that numerous times. I don't know if you saw that in there. To the praise of his glory. What is the ultimate purpose of salvation? The ultimate purpose of the plan, as, it's, as we've heard a few times this morning, and it says in Habakkuk, or Habakkuk, for the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. There are these themes in here as well. Father, Son, and Spirit, as we see the Father plans, the Father chooses, the Father adopts, the Father orchestrates. We see the Son mediates, the Son acts, the Son purchases by His blood, the Son achieves. And today we're looking at how the Spirit applies. The Spirit reveals, the Spirit is a seal. There's themes of past, present, and future as we see what the Father planned to do before creation began what the son achieved what is ready for us and present for us now we are now adopted and we look in today at the future and what will be our inheritance let's look again at verses 11 to 14 because this is where we're really going to spend our time it says this 11 to 14 in him we have obtained an inheritance having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will Okay, let's stop there for a moment. In him we have obtained an inheritance. Now, there's a bit of dispute about how this could be interpreted here. Some possible interpretations because this word uh, inheritance is quite a vague word. In the original Greek, it is kleros, and it basically means portion. So, we are portion is kind of what it says. And, and, and so, it can be, uh, some people, it may say in your NIVs, if you're reading an NIV, we are chosen. You know, a piece, chosen. Yeah, that would make sense, and that is biblical. We are God's chosen people. And the reason that might, we might not settle on that as the, uh, as the interpretation is because that's already been said here, and this saying it again doesn't add anything. So he's already said we've been chosen. One of the other interpretations could be that we were made an inheritance for God. We were apportioned for God, set apart for God. That's very biblical. That's very true. But also, it's not expanded on. And Paul usually says things in these letters that he will say and then expand on. And it doesn't say that. He doesn't say that anywhere else in this whole letter. He doesn't talk about how we were set apart. Peter says about how you are chosen people, a royal priesthood. Paul doesn't say that in, Ephesus, in Ephesians. So, so that may be not fit so neatly. Another one is that it says, it says in this ESV, we have obtained an inheritance. And some people read that as we have already obtained an inheritance, as if we have already taken hold of it. But this is out of harmony with Paul in other places. And even at the end of the paragraph, it ends with him saying the Holy Spirit is a down payment of something that we have not yet acquired. So I think most likely a helpful interpretation of this is in him we have been made heirs in him we have been allocated an inheritance to come we have been made heirs there is a portion to come you know as uh, inheritance was such a a big theme in the jewish culture in the bible inheritance is a huge thing it is obtained in that it is paid for but not obtained that it is experienced in full by us yet. This is something for us to look forward to. Inheritance 
as I said, was a huge deal. The father of the faith, Abraham, was promised an inheritance where it all began. You will be the father of many nations. That he would have land and kings and nations as his inheritance. It's right where it began, the promises of God, something not yet experienced, but promised to hold hope that this is what God said, and I will one day take hold of this. And in his lifetime, he didn't, but he will. In the resurrection, Abraham will experience this. The Israelites who were freed from their slavery in Egypt, as Tom spoke about last week, this story of redemption and taken out of uh, slavery into freedom, they were given a promised land as their inheritance. This will be your inheritance. This is a, a huge theme for them. This will be the thing that God has promised to us that we are walking towards, that we will one day, take, one day take hold of. And then there's this fascinating soap opera type story in Genesis 25 where Abraham's son Isaac, he's grown old and he's, he's blind and he has twin sons, Jacob and Esau. And uh, they don't get on well. And even though they're twins, Esau was born first. And so Esau is the older son. And in the, these times, the oldest son would have the double portion of inheritance. A special blessing would be given to the older son. And th this was a, a, a matter of dispute between the sons. There was friction because of it. And, uh, and they were very different boys as well, as you may know the story. Esau was a very hairy man. He was a hunter. In fact, he was so hairy, apparently his hair was like cloves on him. So Chewbacca, imagine Chewbacca. Um, he, uh, maybe not. He, um, he was a hairy man. He would hunt and uh, smell like game. And his uh, brother Jacob was a smooth man, different. Jacob was his, uh, the mother's favorite. Esau was the father's favorite. And uh, Jake, uh, Isaac knew that his time was coming to die. And he said, I, my time is coming. I want to bless you. I want to give my blessing that is coming, the inheritance that's coming towards you, the, the blessing promised to you. So I want you to, Esau, go out and kill some game, make a fantastic meal, and let's do this. Let's do a ceremony where I, I, I give you what is coming to you, the blessing of heaven. And uh, Rebecca, the mother, hears about this and says to Jacob, I've heard that it's going to happen. I've got a plan. Now, if you uh, put some animal hide on your arms and on the back of your neck, and, uh, and you make a meal for your dad. Uh, and you go into him because he can't see. He, he'll feel you. He'll, he'll think it's Esau. And you say it's Esau. And you'll get the blessing. So, so J uh, Jacob goes and he covers himself to become like Esau. And he goes into the father. And the father says, it doesn't sound like you. And he just... Uh, gets away with that there. He says, let me, let me feel you. Ah, if you feel like Esau, uh, you smell like Esau. So he, he blesses him. He gives him this, this blessing from heaven. And, uh, and then Jacob, uh, sorry, Esau comes back from hunting and goes in and says, okay, can you bless me now? Uh, he makes him this meal and he says, oh, who was it that I already blessed? Ah, I've been tricked. And the thing here that is helpful for us with this picture of, of inheritance is that we see this, this picture of one who is in another, one who is clothed in another, getting the inheritance that was due to the older son. And as we've looked at Paul saying, in Christ, you have been given an inheritance, that Jacob was clothed in Esau, as it were, 
smelled like Esau, felt like Esau. The father said, this is my, he's clothed in the beloved son. The son that the father loved. That's what it is to be Christian, to be clothed in the son that the father loves. And to know that's how I obtain an inheritance. That's how I step into all that God has for me. All the blessings of heaven are in Christ Jesus for us. And there's this picture of an inheritance gained. And Esau says, well, can't you give it to me? No, the deal's been done. I've given it. And some of you need to know, as we heard this morning, the deal's been done. He's given you blessing in Christ Jesus. It's not, oh, this, this, no, maybe we can change something. No, no, when the deal's done in heaven, when the blessing of heaven's poured out, the deal's done. And to stand in Christ is to know an inheritance is given to you. The blessing of heaven is given to you. It's what it is to be clothed in him. It literally, uh, it, but the difference here is that the story is one of deceit, isn't it? Jacob literally means deceiver. Whereas what Paul has repeated over and over in this is that our union with Christ and everything that comes with that has been ordained according to the purpose of his will. It's his desire. It's his choice. He would want to give out this glory to us. He'd want to give out this blessing to us. It was the plan of the Father to the praise of his glory. We have not duped him. We have not tricked him. There's no shenanigans on our part here. The Father has clothed us in the Son that he loved, and in so doing, he has adopted us, as Tom said last week. He has redeemed us, as Tom said last week, and he has given us an inheritance. He has made us heirs of unspeakable blessing, blessing that we touch right now, but will not know the fullness of until we see him face to face. We may not always sound like Christ, But to the Father, we smell like him. We feel like him. We look like him. And his blessing has been poured out on us. How crazy is that? That this age-old story, this family, this dynasty that Gentiles hold no claim to and no expectation of an inheritance. And now it's like we've been married in. We now have the same name as our husband. We now have the same family as our husband and we now have the same inheritance as our husband as we've been married into this family it's all down to being united with him united with christ so in christ first point we have been made heirs with christ second point the guarantee of our inheritance it says as we look at these verses 12 to 14 let's have a look at them so that we who were the first to hope in christ might be to the praise of his glory In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it, to the praise of his glory. This age-old story that we keep referring to of God and his chosen people. It began with Abraham, as I've mentioned, but even the promise to Abraham was that through him all the nations of the earth would be blessed. God has done a work through Christ that has opened a door. Jesus said, I am the door. There's one door that all could come through him. And as we see these verses here, let's just have a look quickly. Verse 12, he says, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ. Paul is saying we, as in the Jewish people. The Jewish people, we first, God brought his salvation plan to us first. It's ours first. This is the order of salvation. 
But then look at this. He says, we who were the first hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. And in him, you also. So he's talking to Gentiles, non-Jews. When you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. What was for us is now for you also. And then it goes on. Who is the guarantee of our inheritance? It was ours. Then it was open to you. Now it's ours. So when I say ours, I mean it was we, then you, now it's us. Jew and Gentile, through Christ Jesus, this has been given in the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit has sealed this. A seal, like a cattle brand, you know, owned. This, is, this cattle, this cow is owned by this farmer, sealed. And the Holy Spirit is our seal. And he is also our down payment of what is to come. This is not simply theology. It's not simply theory. But the disciples have started to see this happen before their very eyes. They've started to see what was just for the Jews. I'm seeing people who, who are not Jewish come to have faith in this Jesus and an experience of the Holy Spirit. Let's just look quickly at Acts chapter 10. And it says this. Uh, this is a great story, actually. This, this, this Gentile man called Cornelius who has been praying and who has started to put his faith in this, this Jewish man, Jesus, who he's heard about. And, he, and an angel appears to him and says, send for Simon Peter to come to you and explain the gospel to you. So miraculously, he, he's, he, he knows who Simon Peter is and sends word. And says, he, the angel tells him he knows where he will be. It's incredible. So he, he goes and calls for Simon Peter. Simon Peter comes to this house that's full of Gentile believers in Jesus. And he explains the gospel to them about how they walked with Jesus, about how they saw him do incredible things, about how he died and three days later rose to new life, uh, putting death uh, and, and, uh, and Satan to death. And then it says this in verse 44. While Peter was still saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell on all who heard the word. And the believers from among the circumcised who had come with Peter were amazed. So the Jewish believers were amazed because of the gift of the Holy Spirit being poured out even on the Gentiles. For they were hearing them speak in tongues and extolling God. And then Peter declared, can anyone withhold water for baptizing these people who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of Jesus. It's an amazing picture, isn't it? It's an incredible thing. They are in the, the, the years of this opening up, this, this thing that was for God's chosen nation. And now God is saying, now we start to see this story unfold with the blessing opening up through Jesus Christ, as I'd always planned it to be, so that hundreds of us could be sitting here in this room saying, Jesus is Lord of my life. Jesus has made a way that there, where there was no way for Jew and Gentile. And he is the down payment of our future hope, our future glory. It's like a deposit on a house. He is the down payment of something that will be experienced in full one day. A taste of heaven abiding in believers. Testifying with our spirits that we are sons of God. As we've experienced some of us in this room today, just knowing the presence of God. Just knowing, I just love Jesus, and, and the Holy Spirit is affirming that in my heart, and I love to be with the people of God. God is at work, testifying with my spirit, a foretaste, revealing glimpses of power 
and glimpses of glory, glimpses of healing and overwhelming love and joy and peace as the fruit of the Spirit is displayed in our lives, as gifts are given to us. It's experiential. If we look at Cornelius' gathering, it's experiential. The Holy Spirit fell on them. And we still believe today that the Holy Spirit will fall upon us as we cry out, come Holy Spirit. You hungry for that? We've been praying, God, in this series, through this term, through this year, let us, as many, as you, many of you have gathered to our church who may not know this experience of the Holy Spirit, pray, God, come and fall on us. Baptize people in the Holy Spirit. It says in Acts 8, quite clearly, that it's possible to be a believer in Jesus and not have had this experience of the baptizing of the Holy Spirit, where the, the power of the Holy Spirit falls on you and you know that sealing in your heart and you know an empowering. And we'd love to actually pray for you today. If you think, I want to know the baptizing of the Holy Spirit. I want him to fall on me. Then we would love to pray for you at the end. Love to invite you at the end to do that. He is our promise of a future to come. And thirdly, let's look finally at anticipating this inheritance. I've talked a lot about, we have this inheritance. I haven't talked much about what it is. Anticipating this inheritance. And as I said earlier, Paul was exposing this huge, glorious, expansive picture of God's salvation plan from everlasting to everlasting. He finishes this introduction by pointing the Ephesians to yet more blessing to come. It's not even, that's not even all there is. You know, he's just, just offloaded this glory and this blessing that we have in Christ Jesus. And then there's also an inheritance. There's also more to come. And Peter says in his first letter that we must set our hope fully on the grace coming to us at the revelation of Jesus Christ. There's a day coming that we still put our hope in as we know that life is painful and that life is difficult and that we have our frustrations. Paul is well aware of that as he says that we anticipate. He says we also groan. In fact, he says in Romans that we groan, but also that all of creation groans and longs for this day to see the manifestation of the sons of God. When, when we are revealed in all our glory as we see Jesus face to face and we become like him. That all creation longs for that day. It's on the edge of its seat. It's on its tiptoes waiting for that day. And all of heaven looks on to see one day there'll be a day when the sons of man will be, sons of God will be revealed in all their manifest, full manifestation. He says this groaning is like the groaning of a pregnant mother. And mothers, you know that's painful. It hurts. And it comes in waves and it's tough. And life is like that. But it longs for a day. When it will not only bring forth God's sons in all their glory, but it will also bring an end to the darkness. It will also bring an end to bondage, to futility in this world. I was in a meeting this week where we were talking and someone has said, you know, coronavirus will be with us forever. And someone else said, not forever. Not forever, because there'll be a day. There'll be a day we have this great hope. Revelation 21 says this. It's on the screen. This is our great hope. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, 
prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore for the former things have passed away. Glorious. And he says, and he who was seated on the throne said, behold, I am making all things new. Also, he said, write this down for those words. These words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, it is done. I am the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty, I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. The one who conquers will have this heritage, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. But as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for murderers, the sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all the liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns and with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. See, a day is coming when all darkness, all evil, all oppression and injustice and pain and sorrow will be dealt with. The final blow will come. And all that is wrong will be put right. Because the one on the throne is making all things new. All that we have sown in tears, we will reap in joy. The son of righteousness will come with healing in his wings. And it says this in uh, uh, Malachi. We will go out like leaping calves who cannot believe for joy. I watched a YouTube video this week as I read that. And I, I looked for leaping calves, and there was a, a video of a, a farmer opening the gate for the first time for these calves who had been in all winter. And they, they just sprinted around. And they, I've never seen cows do that, just jumping around. It's, just, it's a beautiful picture. They don't know what they've, they've been missing. And they, wow, this is open to me. That will be what it will be like on that day when the Son of Righteousness comes. Freedom, peace, and life. In Christ we have an inheritance according to the will of the Father, to the praise of his glory. And just, just as we finish here, I want to read a story, a, a true account, to help us to think, how do I hold on? How do I, how do I hold on to the hope of this inheritance? How do I groan well? Well, let's listen to this. An old missionary couple had been working in Africa for years, and they were returning to New York City to retire. They had no pension. Their health was broken. They were defeated, discouraged, and afraid. They discovered that they were booked on the same ship as President Teddy Roosevelt, who was returning from one of his big game hunting expeditions. No one paid much attention to them, they watched the fanfare that accompanied the president's entourage, with passengers trying to catch a glimpse of the great man. As the ship moved across the ocean, the old missionary said to his wife, something is wrong. Why should we have given our lives in faithful service for God in Africa all these many years and have no one care a thing about us? Here, this man comes back from a hunting trip and everybody makes so much over him but nobody gives two hoots about us. Dear, you shouldn't feel that way, his wife said. I can't help it. It doesn't seem right. 
When the ship docked in New York, a band was waiting to greet the president. The mayor and other dignitaries were there. The papers were full of the president's arrival, but no one noticed this missionary couple. They slipped off the ship and found a cheap flat on the east side, hoping the next day to see what they could do to make a living in the city. That night, the man's spirits broke. He said to his wife, I can't take this. God is not treating us fairly. His wife replied, why don't you go into the bedroom and tell that to the Lord? <laughs> Good advice for wives out there. A short time later, he came out from the bedroom, but now his face was completely different. His wife asked, dear, what happened? The Lord settled it with me, he said. I told him how bitter I was that the president should receive this tremendous homecoming when no one met us as we returned home. But when I finished, it seemed as though the Lord put his hand on my shoulder and simply said, but you're not home yet. Yeah? There's a day coming. We live with this hope. We groan with this hope. We praise because of this hope. We have a great home being prepared for us. We're not there yet. He has inherited this for us. We are heirs with Christ. What a great future we have. Let's praise this Jesus who has done this for us. Let's stand and thank him with hearts overwhelmed with this grace upon grace upon grace upon grace. The kindness of God for us. We've glimpsed it. And let's ask him for more awareness of this Holy Spirit's foretaste. God, that we would experience more of this foretaste of what is to come in Christ Jesus, who has poured his Holy Spirit out upon all flesh. Father, we just thank you. We just stand. We thank you for your work on our behalf. We thank you, Father, that you ordained, you orchestrated, you planned for your glory. Jesus, we thank you that you acted, you mediated, you, you purchased through your blood. Spirit, we thank you that you have revealed, that you have come to be a seal, that you have come to be a foretaste of this incredible inheritance. And Lord, we pray that we would experience more and more of heaven on earth. We pray you'd help us to hold on to what is to come and groan well and hope well and lift each other's eyes to the truth that there is a day coming. There is a day coming.